there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. And the king will reply... Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Last Tuesday in November, it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, known nationally as Giving Tuesday. What does it mean? What does it mean to give? Especially on a very personal level. I think a lot of us do know the different levels of of giving. But... Boy, when you get deep down on a very personal level, we'll talk about some of that here today because we're talking about about kids and children and foster parents. Trisha Collins is going to join us from Childbridge. Uh, that's a nonprofit mission to better take care of our children in the foster care program, working and training potential foster parents and, and adoptive parents, and also working to reunite foster kids with their birth families. Great organization. Also, this has been around a while, too, and they continue to be uh, one of the best organizations in the Flathead when it comes to, and there's a lot of them, all right, but this one, the Northwest Montana Veterans Stand Down Food Pantry in Evergreen um, has, has long been um, out there providing services and expanding those services too. So we'll talk with Cinnamon Davis Hall a bit later on on Giving Tuesday on Voices of Montana. Tomorrow is happening right now. Today, more than ever, the world needs safe, secure, sustainable, and affordable sources of energy. That's why Enbridge is advancing new technologies to reduce emissions, like carbon capture and hydrogen power. By putting in the work today, we're bridging to a cleaner energy future. Tomorrow is on. Enbridge. Life takes energy. You know, we had Governor Greg Gianforte on the program just last week, and this was uh, shortly after he had um, uh, done some work and, and talked about some of the things that they have done to encourage adoptions across the state of Montana. And and, and mentioned Childbridge as well, and and, uh, and have been known. Uh, we have known about this organization for a while, too, but you go to their website and uh, and you just look around and and you can tell that everybody there has got the heart in the right place to try and do good things out there. Childbridgemontana.org for more information. Had the pleasure of uh, speaking with Trisha Collins as well. She's the director of missional impact there at Childbridge, Montana. It's got quite a personal story to share as well. You go to that website and you'll see don't give abuse and neglect the final say. Those things, I think, are they should be impactful to us because I think a lot of us have have gone through periods or know people who have suffered from abuse and neglect. And and the best part of those stories is that is not the final say. And you can do something uh, to make a difference there. Let's welcome Trisha Collins first and and say good morning and thanks for what you're doing. How are you, Trisha? Good morning. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for being here. Appreciate that. I don't know where to start. I'm really curious about training and, and encouraging a foster parent and also working to reunite foster kids with their birth families. But you have a very impactful personal story as well uh, that relates to foster care. And it's on the website. And I would encourage people. There's a couple of nice stories on there. Learning to sing in the dark would be this one. And I would uh, you know, encourage people to go and read that. But that, uh, suffice it to say, has has been, I guess, a driving force to where you are now. Absolutely. The idea of paying forward what was done for me, a, a couple, a husband and a wife, 
choosing to give me the gift of family, choosing to move towards difficult things like many of our families do at Childbridge. And uh, without the trauma-based training that we're so fortunate to provide to our families, you know, teaching children who come from hard places, difficult situations, how to trust, how to love, how to connect, attach, that's a thing. It's a challenging (laughs) thing. And it's something that so many wonderful people in Montana move towards and do, and we get the privilege of supporting them and finding them and just reminding them of this good thing that they can do for more children. Why don't you give us the um, the rundown of what, what Child Bridge Montana is and does? We find and equip foster and adoptive families for children who've suffered abuse and neglect. Those children are located in the foster care system. They've been removed from their homes for safety reasons, for a temporary time. It can vary. And so what we do is we we have a two-pronged approach. The first thing we do is we find. And so we go and we tell people and we make sure they're educated that, you know, there are children who, you know, yesterday – They were hiding under beds and in closets, afraid of the very people who were entrusted to teach them of love and of trust and things like that. And and those kinds of scenarios, uh, as well as, you know, drug addiction on parents, those types of things, lands them in the foster care system. And then they need somebody who will step forward and care for them while the parents are working a treatment plan to regain the custody of their own children. And so... We ask families to step forward, step into that gap, and care for them for however long they need it. They might need it for a day. They might need it for a week, a month. For some, it will be for their lifetime. For some, it will be adoption. But our goal is always reunification of that family, to see that family gain the strength they need, the resources, the tools, whatever it is that family needs, they work that treatment plan with the state and our families come into that gap. But we don't just ask them to step forward and do it. Then we also equip those families to do it because we know we're asking them to do a challenging thing. Imagine being a child who all you've known is your parents and your home and your pets and your school, and all of a sudden, boom, you go to school and and maybe a bruise on your cheek, and then you're, whoosh, taken away from all of that and put into the care of strangers, absolute strangers to you. So you can imagine the task that these strangers, these foster parents have in trying to provide safety for that child, for that child to feel safe when maybe all they've known is not safety. Maybe all they've known is chaos. And so to get their little spirits, their little minds, their little bodies to calm down, it requires a a higher level of skill and more tools. And that's where our other side is the foster parent coaching, where we really are providing trauma-based training for these families to teach them how to teach these kiddos to love and to trust and to feel safe. And depending on how long they've suffered that abuse and neglect, that can be a a really difficult process. Um, And we're also walking alongside those families because they are helping that family to reunify, which is a big thing we've asked them to do. It's a very sacrificial thing. You're helping somebody else regain their child. And 
you know, if the best scenario happens, which is they return home, there's grief for that foster family. If they've been in their home, maybe celebrated holidays, birthdays, all the things, sometimes, you know, up to two years it can be. And so there's there's a great sacrifice and there's a great grief. And so we walk alongside those families through every step, connecting them to resources, connecting them to education, connecting them to each other. So they're in rooms where there are other people who can look across the table and go, oh, me too. I get it. I really get what you're going through. If it was a hard day with a court visit or whatever the case may be. So it's really that two-pronged approach, but all with the goal of reunifying the family. A journey unknown, too. Trisha Collins is with us, Director of Missional Impact with Childbridge, Montana. And again, childbridgemontana.org. For foster parents and, and their, their foster kids as well, it is a bit of a journey unknown when, when you get, as you mentioned, maybe a couple of years. Um, but I'm, I want to go back to a little bit about, and I want to talk more about that journey, too, and how you prepare and equip you guys are confronting the truth about some things. And when, when you say that right on your website, too, don't give abuse and neglect the final say. I think when you look through a child's viewpoint, and 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 maybe you could share on that as well, uh, stories that uh, of people you know, these kids, they don't understand. I don't think they, they, they think that, oh, my gosh, abuse and neglect is the final say. That's, uh, that's a sadness that can be corrected. Yeah, and for them, you know, it may be all that they know. And oftentimes it is generational. It's just something, you know, that's been happening within their family. And they really know no different. And so quite truthfully, a safe and loving family can be really uncomfortable for them. They're not quite sure what to do with it. Uh, sometimes their own behavior can be pretty disruptive because they they just don't know what it is, you know, to be tucked in safely by a good and loving dad when maybe, you know, they'd suffered a physical or sexual abuse at the hands of, of their father previously. And so situations can be really difficult for their minds to conceive of this new way of going about things and a new way of relating. You know, it used to be that family maybe felt unsafe for them and maybe strangers felt more safe to them because teachers and other people kind of on the periphery were were safer figures. And now we're kind of trying to rewire that brain to see family is a safe place. Family is that soft landing place. Family are the people you can trust the ones who love you unconditionally, they've got your back, <laughs> kind of no matter what you do, this no matter whatness of the love. And and so that idea that abuse and neglect won't have the final say, really trying to cut that off and show not only the children, but obviously the families as well. You know, we have some families that have beautifully walked alongside um, the parents as they've gone on a healing journey. And you yeah. mentioned there's some things on our website at childbridgemontana.org, some stories, but they're really miraculous stories of families, couples who are walking alongside. I think of one who was a, a single dad and chose to work his treatment plan to regain his daughter. And, you know, that was very sacrificial. They were meeting with him Fridays at the park and teaching him how to parent his daughter while they were falling in love with her and she was becoming a part of their family. And um, he would eventually regain custody and they celebrated that with him. And then, you know, the miracle just keeps going on and on and 
that abuse and neglect didn't get the final say because that man is now a drug and addiction counselor who's helping other people regain their children who've lost their children. So there was this way bigger picture that God was painting in their lives by bringing this little girl into their family. Trisha Collins uh, joins us here again, Director of Missional Impact with Childbridge, Montana. I want to go back to the recovery process and and the healing process for some of these kids. Uh, A lot of times we're dealing in the foster care program with kids who have suffered abuse or, or neglect. And you just don't flip a switch um, to, you know, the next day it's all better again. When you're encouraging foster parents and training foster parents, um, how do you train for what can be an unknown journey? Yeah, we really encourage them to take it day by day mm. and moment by moment. And it is a long haul, especially if the abuse and neglect happen very early on. You know, sometimes it begins even in utero, right? If there's drugs and alcohol and things and what happens is the brain <laughs> wiring gets laid down incorrectly, right? And so it is a long and arduous process to really help children to relearn those things that should have been learned in those early years with thousands of times of responding to needs that, you know, that they had, whether they were soiled, whether they were hungry, you know, and if those needs weren't met, that building of trust is just a very long process. And and the way we go about teaching that is we use some evidence-based practices. Um, There's something that comes out of Texas Christian University called TBRI. It's Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And so everything we do is based in trust. Everything we do is based in connection. They have ideas like things called felt safety. And this is important to teach our parents about because what happens is you can know that a child is safe in your home because you're providing all their needs, but a child may not feel safe, right? Because they've never experienced what true safety is. And so these are the types of trainings that we offer on a monthly basis at our different uh, groups that we have as well as we have one-to-one parent coaching. If they've got a sticky situation, you know, kiddo might be struggling with a a sensory need or a kiddo might be struggling, you know, auditory, just different challenges that are unique to that family. And so we provide this one-to-one coaching. We've got uh, employees that are certified parent coaches that have been trained by somebody who's been doing this over 20 years and working with these families to build the trust that's needed to learn the skills, the social, the emotional, the behavioral skills that no one ever taught them. Yeah, but the, the, and this coaching process, then uh, talk more about that. I, I think, you, does it help get maybe reluctant people over the hump, so to speak, in, in becoming foster parents, or maybe just take a leap of faith, do it, and then kind of trust to learn as you go? Yeah, I think we see both kinds. I think we see some, you know, I I think of, uh, gosh, I I know of a family up here in the Flathead and, you know, they just took a big, huge leap of faith one day. You know, there was a child who had suffered what used to be called shaken baby syndrome. And this child will operate really cognitively, physically at a six month level for life, you know, in a wheelchair, the whole nine yards. And yet this family just took a leap of faith and said, I I think God's asking us to do this. 
not really knowing all about all the tools on the backside and all the help. Um, that that particular woman has come to work for us now even as well and can coach other families. And some families, knowing that we've got the coaching, knowing that we've got the community, knowing that we've got tools and resources we can connect them to, helps them to take that leap of faith because certainly like any parenting journey, it really is unknown. <laughs> we think we right. we know with biological children, but truthfully, you know, you come into things like autism and health challenge, you really don't know what tomorrow will hold. But with these kiddos, you do know they've experienced trauma. And so what you do have to learn really early on is you've got to go about parenting them different. You work with the, the state, right? Because the, the foster care system is, is run through the State Department of Health and and public and human services, right? We do. We get the privilege of coming alongside the state who they are the ones that have the custody of the children and they're the ones uh, charged with the safety of the children. And so that's where the children are located. So we come alongside the state to help them with the task that they have, which is to find families to foster. And, and we really try and provide quality families who are going to stick with the kiddo and with the family for the long haul. That's really our goal. That's part of why we provide all the training and coaching that we do is it's best for this kiddo if they can be with one family throughout the process, whatever that process looks like. Trisha Collins with us here, Director of Missional Impact with Childbridge, Montana. Trisha, do you guys um, cross state lines? No, we are just a treasure for the state of Montana at this point. Yeah. I want to give some of these um, uh, stats here because they're on the website and I think they're impactful here. I mentioned one earlier, around 20% of children in foster care become instantly homeless when they turn 18. Uh, that's without the security of uh, state funding housing. Studies show that approximately 60% of trafficking victims spent time in the child welfare system. And many kids in foster care come from parents who grew up in similar conditions. 70% of girls who age out of foster care get pregnant within a year. And 60% of boys are convicted of crime within a year of aging out. Those are um, harrowing statistics, I guess. They're very telling in a lot of ways. Uh, just wanted to have you you comment on on the impact that, that um, good foster care can have. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I personally know the impact, right? And people, you should read her story, okay? Go uh, go read her story, childbridgemontana.org. Um, it's there. I mentioned it earlier as well, uh, letting, uh, learning to sing in the dark. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tricia. No, yeah. The impact is, is lifelong, and it really can be for for generations, future generations. You really get to cut off abuse in a family line is the possibility. And that's quite a gift you can give. And um, it, it really can change the trajectory of a child's life. And, you know, each child is really just one or two loving people away from becoming a success story and beating all of those odds, all of those statistics that you just mentioned. Uh, that flipped, that script can be just flipped upside down and they can go on to do great things and hopefully actually do exactly like what I get to do, which is to invest in more people and to help more children be helped. I'm going to read just a bit of it here. It's just a sentence, you know, I don't remember a single day of my childhood when I wasn't afraid. And I think that's, that's enough to, to talk about the impact that good foster care can, can have on kids and sometimes the work that it takes to, to heal from that. How do people give? How can we give 
Um, you know, maybe what makes the start of a good foster parent, because I know you have training programs. Some may want to give at that level. Some may not know that that is what they need in their life as well is to give at that level. What makes a good foster parent? Gosh, I think it's two things. I think that they're willing mm-hmm. and I think that they're well supported. I think a well supported foster family will be successful, but I think they have to be willing. They don't have to have perfect lives. I think of my own foster family and my foster dad was paralyzed on half of his body and the mom was just a school teacher, private school salary. And, you know, I was a teenage girl doing things you really wouldn't want your teenage sons around. And yet they, they said yes. <laughs> and so they were willing and they were well supported and they were doing it out of the love in their hearts. They were bringing family to me who really didn't have family. And so how do people give? How do people join us in that? You know, as you said, we're a nonprofit, so we need people to partner financially. And so maybe it's a year-end gift. You just feel the need to do that. You want to participate, but you can't foster at this time. Please give. Maybe you want to give monthly. Maybe you've got $25 a month and you just want to sign up. Go to our website at childbridgemontana.org. And I promise you we will put those funds to good use, finding more families for children who have suffered horrific and profound abuse and neglect, we will be sure that they've got a safe and loving family to receive them. How long have you guys been in organization? 11 years yeah. going strong. Yeah, that's good. And I know it's grown as well. And uh, and that says something, too, about uh, being able to, to meet the need. Trisha Collins, I know that uh, you all give an awful lot. Thank you for that. Be well, man. There's somebody who's been meeting needs up there, more than just one. Uh, We're going to talk to one, though, who's been doing it for quite a while here and and, and leading the charge. It's Cinnamon Davis Hall of the Northwest Montana Veterans Stand Down and Food Pantry. Been around 20 plus years. Uh, Cinnamon's parents. um, uh, Cinnamon, good morning. Alan and Linda. Linda. Yeah. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I read a story recently. Thanks for being here. I read a story, oh, it was a while back uh, from um, the Daily Interlake. They did an interview on you, and and it talked about how your parents, um, early on, even before there was this organization, even before there really was more of a national push for nonprofits to help veterans, um, was helping veterans on a very personal level. That uh, That had an impact on you, didn't it? It really did. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize when there was somebody sleeping on our couch that it was actually a homeless veteran and then when me and my siblings there's six of us all together when we grew up we realized that mom and dad were always helping homeless veterans and they just kind of kept it going and then 25 years ago when alan became disabled my dad alan he became disabled himself and couldn't find any services in the flooded valley he was like you know i want to help veterans all the time and I want to help to get services here. And that's when he was talking to the VA in Washington, D.C. And now we are getting more services, but it doesn't mean that we don't have homeless veterans themselves. So we're still outreaching all the time trying to get them in. Yeah, and, and that's an important part, I think, of, of, of us having a discussion here on, on Giving Tuesday, is that this, this need continues um, for, for veterans. I, I guess we maybe talk about the need there as well. But you guys have helped veterans along the way, too. So it's important, I think, to juxtapose the need with stories that show needs being met. Um, what comes to mind? So I have a veteran that came in a couple weeks ago, 
and he comes all the way from Elmo to get a food box. And he said that he comes in once a month, and the $20 he spends in gas, he gets about $200 worth of food, and it saves him at least that in food costs for him and his family to come in once a month. And that has blessed him and helped him so much. Mm. He's able to pay some of his other bills like electricity and different important things that way just by being able to come in once a month. Well, and one of the things, too, that, that you note, um, those are material needs. But more often than not, or maybe it's 50-50, I don't know, more often than not, um, they just they need someone to listen. They need someone to, to be able to hear. Um, and, and I think, as you noted, too, in that story, they kind of have an idea of what they need to do. They just need that, that sounding board. Um, how important mm-hmm. or how, how much a part of that process um, it, it, you know, is valued there? Yeah, in our building, we actually have, when you first walk in, a computer, and the veteran can get on the computer, check his email, and they can go on there and do job searches. But then we have camaraderie. We have other veterans that volunteer and work there, and so it's a great visiting place. And the coffee's always on, like Linda, my mom, always says, just come on in, and the coffee's always on for you. But you always get to visit with another veteran when you're wandering through and it's just nice because some of our veterans, the only time they get out is once a month to come get their food box. And then slowly we'll work with them, and then they'll get out a little bit more and just be able to get out more. Well, what um, You guys have, have grown as well. And I, I, I think I noted when you mm-hmm. were chatting, and I probably said it before too, I think you guys were one of the original, I think you sort of started something, uh, not just in, in northwest Montana, but all across Montana with um, you know, the public service of, of our veterans here. Talk about uh, some of those needs there because, um, you know, as we go to your website again, uh, there's, there's hungry veterans, there's veterans that, and their families, I should say, that, that need uh, some uh-huh. medical assistance and social assistance. Talk about uh, how that need has grown and how you guys have grown with it. So in 98, approximately, Alan started doing the stand-downs. Dad started doing the stand-downs, and we did stand-downs, and then also he wanted to do something all the time, so he started the Veterans Food Pantry and Evergreen across from the Rainbow Bar and three Quonset huts. And in 2010, an anonymous donor donated the building we're in now, and when we moved from the place in across the three Quonset huts to the new building, we were only servicing maybe 60 veterans a month and they came in to get a food box and they could take a shower. They could do laundry and we still have all those services. They can take a shower, do the computer, all that. But now last month we were up to doing 144 households. And so they came in for a monthly food box and then we had seven new families that came in. So every month we are seeing new families And then as they get in better jobs and different situations, some of them drop off, but we do see new ones all the time also. And so it's just always that influx where we do always have the homeless. And it might take us four or five years to help somebody to get into housing by sending them to referrals and just camaraderie of the self-esteem building. And then last month, well, November, we're still in November for Thanksgiving. So last week, I should say. We gave out a or 89 Thanksgiving boxes for Thanksgiving. And then those veterans also got to go upstairs to what's called Santa's Workshop. 
And so for Thanksgiving or Christmas, all of our clients get to get either a Christmas box or a Thanksgiving box. And it's not just for the month. It's actually for having a family gathering. So it might be a single couple where their kids and grandkids are coming and they can have a big family meal. And then also Santa's workshop, they get to get a gift and I say they go shopping, but it's actually free items from Santa's workshop. So all the new stuff that we get in, we put away all year long for the free items that the veterans get to get as a gift for the year. That's um, that's a, a great service, I think, uh, for the veterans and their families. And, and that takes, I think, um, a lot of volunteerism as well. And, and, and then, you know, yeah. I'm flabbergasted, and I know things kind of got going when that building was donated, but what a generous gift that was as well. And we do have that free durable medical loaner program. I don't know if you or anybody you know have ever used that, but that's free and open to anybody in the whole community. You don't just have to be a veteran. So you can come in and for 170 days, you can borrow a wheelchair, walker, bath bench, hospital bed. We have all kinds of free items you can borrow. And then if you need to keep it longer, you just give us a call and tell us you would need to keep it longer. So we have that for anybody in the community, and it's a free program. So we always need volunteers up there also to help us in that program. And we appreciate all of our volunteers and supporters. And it's not just the giving of money. It's the giving of your time and coming out and becoming a volunteer. And you can find information on how to volunteer on our website. And last month, we had so many great supporters, well, November and we had Peterson School, the fourth grade class, brought stuff in. They did a food drive, Smith Valley School, so even the young ones. And Dennis and Phyllis Washington Foundation, they are a supporter of ours full-time all the time, and they send us money. And the Knights of Columbus, they support us three, four times a year. The Lions Club, Warehouser brought in turkeys. The Montana Legends Memorial Day run for the vets. The BFW Kalispell. That's just to name a few. We have lots more than that that support. And it's just awesome that this community supports us because 98% of all of our funds comes from the community support. We couldn't do this without you guys supporting, volunteering, and coming around and helping us. What and and thank you for that too. Um, what do what do you need? How can people help? We talked about volunteerism. Uh, can people drop off food donations? What's what's the process? Um, uh, whether they're it's big or small, if they want to help, how do they do that? So whether it's big or small, if you have money and you want to drop it off, just come in Monday through Friday from ten to three front door, and you can give that to the receptionist. If you want to have a food drive, so we had some um, people do a food drive, and so they just called me, and I went. Um, Majestic Valley did one. The DFW Council with B98 do it. And then I go, and I'll take pictures and videos, and then they just bring their donation later. The Christian Crusaders did one like that also. If people want to volunteer, they can come in and find out all the volunteer positions. We find out what you like to do. Your available hours, you can volunteer once a week, once a month, however often you want to. Because we need people, especially 10 to 3, Monday through Friday. And the thrift stores open 10 to 4.30, Monday through Friday. 
but most of the services and donations are 10 to 3 Monday through Friday. Yeah, you, um, you, you do have special hours for the thrift store um, and the food pantry as well. You guys can uh, note that, veteransfoodpantry.org for more information. Um, yeah, and the thrift store is open to the public. Yes. But when the public comes in shopping, that helps to pay the heat bill and the light bill. And then also all veterans get a 10% discount. So if you are a veteran and you come in shopping, use that 10% discount. Also, if it's a homeless veteran getting into housing, we can give him all the stuff he needs to get his house set up. So beds for his kids and him or her for the veteran and their family. And then also couches, pots and pans, all that stuff that they need to set up a house. And then we also have free one to wear, one to wash for veterans. They can come in and get free clothing. So that would be like two pairs of pants, two socks, a pair of shoes, coats, all kinds of good stuff. Haircut too, right? Yes. Once a month on Mondays, we have a gal that comes in from 10 to 1. Every Monday, Tina's there for haircuts. So, yeah, come on in and get a free haircut. That's, that is, that's so cool. I mean, that's trying to think about everything um, or, or just the little things, I guess, that um, – I wanted to, I got just a couple of minutes left here. I'm going to um, ask that question about how our veterans are doing there. I know with the, the pandemic, a lot of people isolated and we were uh, afraid of each other because we were all going to get sick and, and, uh, and giving us down, I think, uh, because of that. Uh, uh, talk about what you're seeing there now, Cinnamon. Um, is, are we recovering from pulling back because of the pandemic? You know, I think it is starting to come back out but i also feel that our veterans are still very conservative i think a lot of people are still very conservative about getting out and about and so that's why the veterans like coming in there because they get that camaraderie and so they're not in the bigger spaces they're not going to the bigger shopping centers but they come in there for that camaraderie after being out from covid and being isolated and so slowly working on them to get their self-esteem back up and get out there. You have such a, a busy life, I know, with kids and, and other things going on there as well. Uh, but you're making time, and this is very important uh, to you. Talk about, in, in a way to maybe encourage others who, who may be held back for whatever reason, talk about why you're doing it and, and how important it is for Cinnamon Davis Hall. One of the biggest impacts for me was years ago, um, we were doing the pantry and this one little guy, he was only about maybe nine years old, came in and I was standing there and gave Alan a hug, my dad, and said, I want to thank you for giving me a bed. This is the first time I can remember not sleeping on somebody's couch, in a car, or in a dresser drawer. And I just thought, my gosh, nine years old, and this is the first time that child's ever had a bed of his own. And that just hugely impacted me. And that's been one of Alan's mottos forever is, if you need a bed, we got a bed for you. For a veteran and their family, yes, we're going to get you off the floor. not going to let that child sleep in a car anymore. And that was one of the many impacting moments for me that I was like, this is the work I want to do forever. Cinnamon Davis Hall, thank you so much for that. Again, it is Giving Tuesday, veteransfoodpantry.org for more information. We will uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you, okay? And reach back here, too, when you guys have needs, all right? 
Again, thanks Thank for what you, you do. Tom. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. And join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana, a live issue-oriented talk show heard daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on local stations all across Montana.